Hello and welcome to Scan Today's Let's Talk AI podcast, where you can hear from AI researchers about what's actually going on with AI and what is just clickbait headlines. I am Andre Krenkov, a third-year PhD student at the Stanford Vision and Learning Lab. I focus mostly on learning algorithms for robotic manipulation in my research. And with me is my co-host. I'm Sharon, a third-year PhD student in the machine learning group, working with Andrew Ng. I do research on generative models, improving generalization of neural networks, and applying machine learning to tackling the climate crisis. And Sharon, uh, before we get going on the news discussion, maybe we can just chat a little bit about a recent project you put out, actually, which has to do with Black Lives Matters. And uh, if I understand correctly, uh, the idea is you give it an image and it uses facial recognition techniques to actually put uh, kind of a emoji mask over faces so you can post it and there's no uh, identification possible. So that just came out pretty recently and it sounds like a lot of people like it. Uh, how's that been going? Yeah, so basically uh, I'm really, really excited about this project and uh, I hope it gets out to as many as po- uh, people as possible, especially those who need it and who are protesting, especially organizers of protests uh, who are probably in the greatest danger of getting arrested right now. Um, and we use uh, face detection algorithms, so specifically crowd counting algorithms, adapt them to um, try to find as many faces as possible and uh, mask them with, with an emoji, a Black Lives Matter fist emoji. Um, such that they can become anonymized, um, but and yet still show that there are a lot of people, um, a huge crowd in this image. Um, and I think what's interesting, and I think Jeff Dean actually pointed this out, um, was that uh, we're using face detection as opposed to face recognition to combat face recognition. And face detection um, is an easier task than face recognition because recognition you have to not just know that there's a face but also match it to whose face it is. Um, so um, that's interesting that our defense mechanism can actually be easier, an easier model to, to learn and train and everything, which is great that our defense mechanism is easier than the attack, which I think is often not the case actually uh, when I think of cybersecurity. I think the attacks are often actually easier and defense, you need to think of, you know, every possible, um, every possible attack that could be coming your way. Yeah, exactly. That's an interesting point. Uh, we've discussed facial recognition a whole lot on this podcast over the last few months. Uh, so it's kind of cool to see you've worked on something that's meant to protect people from adverse effects uh, if they are protesting or going out and uh, possibly risking arrest for something I believe is right. So, uh, yeah, good reminder that we can use AI for, for good, I think, and very cool that you got it out there. But uh, now let us uh, get back to our usual routine of discussing cool and interesting AI stories from the last week. And you're going to start with one that's kind of silly, kind of fun, which is from The Verge. And the title of this article is Service that uses AI to identify gender based on names looks incredibly biased. So the summary is uh, last week or so, an AI startup called Genderify launched on Product Hunt and within days shut down its website and deleted its Twitter account after a lot of people responded very negatively and pointed out that it's 
incredibly flawed. So the product basically worked by you putting in any text, any kind of text, and it used used NLP techniques to predict whether uh, the text corresponded to a male or a female of some probability. And uh, it looks like the developer of a product did not do any real efforts to prevent any bias. So if you, for instance, uh, input Megan Smith, it would predict female with 60% probability, but change it to Dr. Megan Smith, and it would immediately predict that's a male with 75% probability. So uh, incredibly biased to an almost ridiculous extent, which is why I said it's, it's kind of funny. And I suppose the good news here is after the public outcry on Twitter, it was, long, uh, it was swiftly closed down and removed. I'm curious, Sharon, did you see all this uh, annoyance on Twitter about it and these demos? Yes, I saw a bunch of buzz on Twitter, uh, lots of screenshots. Uh, I remember distinctly uh, Professor Anima Anandkumar, uh, who's a professor at Caltech as well as head of AI research at NVIDIA, um, said that according to Genderify, I'm only 1.6% female as a professor. So that's really sad. Um, so basically, a lot of these um, uh, words that are essentially just positions or roles uh, have very, very kind of gendered leanings through this site. Um, so doctor yields 96% uh, male. Um, and of course, female is over uh, 98% male. Uh, sorry, professor is over 98% male. And um, I think it was nurse is 91% female. So um, in some senses, it's like, oh, wow, this is just, they did not think about this at all. Um, this is taking your very, very basic, very biased data set and creating word factors. Yeah, and it sort of shows that, you know, as with many things in AI, just because you can doesn't mean you should, right? So here, I think what likely happened is someone took a fairly uh, existing approach, an existing pre-trained model, and just built a little GUI around it and said, here you go, you can now predict and try to guess the gender based on any text input. But uh, as the outcry showed, maybe you should actually think more carefully about the ways this will be incorrect and reflect society's biases and if at least uh, do something to combat it, which was not the case here. So a kind of extreme example of what not to do with AI and what to try and avoid and be considerate about when working with AI, it seems. On to a slightly less uh, ridiculous product, uh, and uh, but yet still maybe a bit of a, a gendered topic. Uh, an article came out from Vogue called uh, I am a model, and I know that artificial intelligence will eventually take my job. Uh, so uh, model Sinead Bovell uh, wrote this piece in Vogue and basically said that digital models and influencers um, uh, are starting to successfully break into the fashion industry. And so an example is Shudu Gram, a South African model who is CGI and not a real person, um, had a 2018 uh, Balmain campaign. Um, and there are various companies such as uh, Data Grid uh, in Japan, um, whose tech essentially 
She says uh, threatens models' jobs because they create CGI that can perform poses that make models uh, most of their money. And these models are also given backstories such as fighting for diversity and inclusion, um, which are ethical issues that abound when those backstories might actually not reflect the CGI model's creators. Uh, so that is really interesting. Um, but there uh, are also uh, benefits um, with smaller environmental impact and smaller teams required because there's no uh, real photo shoots that are needed, especially in this time with COVID. Um, and the ultimate standard of individuality and inclusivity is what it's essentially touted as, uh, because unlike real models, digital models are algorithms that are fed data and they can look literally just like you. Um, and something that the article does touch on is a little bit of AI. Of course, CGI is not exactly AI, um, but the article does touch on how GANs, um, a form of AI, could could get to this point as well. Yeah, so a kind of uh, interesting article in that it touches on AI from Vogue, which is not something we see a lot of. Uh, and I guess it is kind of speculative in that it's saying that right now we have just computer-generated graphics um, and yeah these very realistic looking things but they cannot be responsive or you know easily made to pose in certain ways and the idea uh, kind of expressed here is that we can might be able to use AI techniques to then uh, recreate some of the intelligence and of the skills of human models to make it easier to leverage some of these techniques so um Maybe still an early concern. I don't know if it's fair to say, as it says in the title, that the model knows that AI will eventually take their job. But uh, at the same time, it's interesting to note another area in which AI is likely to at least have some impact and where it can be applied um, in the coming years and decades, I think. Right. A model to be replaced by a model. <laughs> an AI model, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yes. Uh, something that I would be concerned about that the article did not touch upon is the degree to which the creators, and I think that, sorry, the article definitely does touch upon this a little bit in terms of, you know, the creators don't necessarily match the uh, models and they can manipulate the models in any way they choose. And so something I wonder is, Sure, they can manipulate these models, their AI systems. Maybe some people think, you know, who cares? It's like not a real person that they're harming or doing whatever to. But if something does, you know, somewhat inappropriate does come from that, it does make me think, you know, that is still putting out kind of a societal opinion or societal uh, view or, you know, something. And it just doesn't feel right. Um, and I, I'm thinking like kind of, slightly more edgy photo shoots like um, that include nudity, for example, and stuff like that, that still kind of perpetuate various uh, societal desires uh, that would encourage, you know, people to buy things when something's sexualized, right? So um, it does make me think about that a bit. Uh, and Yeah, that, that's an interesting point of you can create images that are, let's say, crass, using AI that uh, maybe you would have a harder time doing without AI. Uh, at the same time, actually, I'm reminded of a different story you've covered about how similar techniques uh, apparently are now starting to be used by uh, companies for their marketing materials to create more varied 
and inclusive uh, marketing materials with a broader range of people, which might be too expensive for small companies. So I guess uh, it's another kind of area where you could see things going both ways, where there are some benefits and some uh, reasons to want the technology, but also some things to be wary of and that hopefully we will not see uh, too much of. Right. And yeah, I can definitely see the business case for this. I can see how it's less expensive, um, everything. So. All right. And then uh, on a related topic of jobs, uh, there's uh, an, our next article, which is from Technology Review and is titled An AI Hiring Firm Says It Can Predict Job Hopping Based on Your Interviews. So this is part of a trend of many companies that have been touting products that can improve uh, hiring using AI systems using things that predict certain uh, things like how much you will be a good fit and so on. Now, the one that is the subject of this piece is the Australia-based predictive hire that uh, screens candidates to assess job-related personality traits and that promises fair hiring. Actually, on its homepage, it boldly advertises meet Phi, your co-pilot in hiring, making interviews super fast, inclusive at last, finally without bias. So really leaning into this idea that we can use AI to be inclusive and remove bias. And they claim that their AI chatbot, as the title says, can predict job hopping probability or statistical significance. So uh, you could make a business case here, likewise, that this is useful, but you can also make a critical uh, case that this is just another way in which companies can, for instance, stymie unionization and weed out candidates who might agitate for higher wages and basically make it easier for companies to put pressure on their employees and uh, make the employees have less power. So yeah, an interesting thing that seems to be a developing trend. Uh, what do you think about this particular company and, and overall trend, Sharon? I'd be curious uh, what the predictors are for uh, that job hopping thing, whether there's ethnicity, gender, because uh, I'm sure there is. Uh, and age, ageism is totally a thing too. So I, I, it does make me think, you know, I don't completely trust them to have deep bias to that. And companies that are touting quote unquote bias free hiring is just, I'm sorry, but complete BS. I can see how you can argue an AI system be better than someone who is very, very racist or sexist. But um, yeah, it's, it's really, really bold claim to say bias free. Yeah, exactly. It's interesting. This article actually links to a paper from Predictive Hire that came out uh, on the 22nd of July on Archive titled Predicting Job Hoping Likelihood Using Answers to Open-Ended Interview Questions. So basically, after talking to a chatbot, and it looks like uh, they use responses from uh, something like 45,000 job applicants who completed an online chat interview and also self-rated themselves on a 
job hopping motive scale to analyze the correlation. So they're claiming that they collected a data set and then they trained this statistically significant uh, prediction. But um, I mean, given the paper just came out, you know, a week ago, uh, and they're trying to commercialize this and make it be used by companies. I would say I'm pretty skeptical, especially when we know that it's very easy to collect flawed data sets that don't represent various people. It's very easy to make it easy for the AI system to do well on your data set and not really work in the real world. Uh, I would say I'm very skeptical of their claims here. Uh, certainly a uh, concerning thing that I uh, saw in the article was about how employers are actually increasingly monitoring employees' emails, chats, and other data to essentially assess which one of them might leave and calculate the minimum pay increase needed to make them stay as well. Um, so to some degree, you know, that's bad. Um, though there also is a good element for those who maybe are not likely to speak up or negotiate. So I could definitely see a silver lining there um, where they would then try to increase someone's pay. But uh, Indeed, yeah. yeah. So again, hopefully a case where maybe some of these techniques can be used to improve, you know, team dynamics or actually improve the accuracy of hiring, but only if done in the right way and uh, hopefully to benefit people rather than hurt them. Right. And speaking of trying to benefit people and not hurt them, uh, our next article uh, is from The Intercept titled The Microsoft Police State, Mass Surveillance, Facial Recognition in the Azure Cloud. So while nationwide protests against racist policing have brought scrutiny against companies like Facebook, Amazon, uh, and the like, Microsoft has largely escaped that criticism. But Microsoft is itself pretty entangled with police departments. Um, they foster companies that provide police with software using uh, Microsoft's cloud called Azure. Uh, and there's a petition from Microsoft employees for the CEO to cancel these contracts with law enforcement agencies. But instead, Microsoft has been ignoring them um, and uh, banned sales uh, of its own uh, facial recognition tech to U.S. police to draw attention away from the fact that they are ignoring the rest. So the historical background for Microsoft um, contributing to intelligence centers for law enforcement agencies after 9-11 uh, was that in 2009, uh, they built a surveillance system for NYPD, and other examples include uh, surveillance-based IoT patrol cars and powering CCTV or police intelligence in various cities. So despite joining IBM and Amazon, Microsoft is still providing police with many tools that undermine civil rights and still does supply facial recognition tech, just not directly from them. So through... Uh, Veritone, a, a facial recognition company that's tightly partnered with Azure uh, and Microsoft's cloud. And uh, on the one hand, um, I am fairly dismayed that Microsoft is doing this. On the other, uh, this sounds pretty Microsoft-y. Uh, they've been basically staying afloat from government contracts and working with the government when uh, Google is not willing to to maintain those contracts. Yeah, I think we, we talked about the story when... 
Amazon and IBM and Microsoft all announced that they will not be selling facial recognition tech to U.S. police. And we noted then that while this is a good surface gesture, we should still be mindful of whether they are lobbying against regulation or what are they doing in addition to that. So this piece from The Intercept, which has a lot of details, uh, it's <laughs> quite long, uh, it nicely reminds that even when on the surface, companies might be uh, for regulation or against surveillance, we should be pretty skeptical and uh, keep a, an eye out for what technology you're supplying and, and what other actions they're doing. Yeah, what's worrisome is that these essentially armchair attempts at supporting something like this um, is seen by perhaps activists, but definitely the press uh, as, you know, a, a moral high ground. So um, the press and activists actually both praised Microsoft's move to uh, to remove uh, or ban sales of its own facial recognition software to the police in the U.S., uh, but but Microsoft actually didn't do anything about all the all the other companies that it's uh, supporting, and um, the press still still claims you know Microsoft has a position as a moral leader in tech, and that may not be may not be so black and white, may not be so clear cut. Yeah, exactly. If if the article, uh, for instance, is saying that Microsoft is enabling this other facial recognition company, Veritone, right, with their Azure uh, technologies. And on to a slightly less serious topic, uh, Vice has an article titled, The Record Industry is Going After Parody Songs Written by an Algorithm. So... Uh, Quote, Weird AI Yankovic, which was created by Georgia Tech researcher Mark Rydell, um, has generated a lyric video featuring instrumental to uh, Michael Jackson's Beat It that was recently taken down. And Rydell believes that the creation actually falls under fair use um, because, and this incident at large raises questions about ML and fair use policies. Um, and of course, this is pretty complicated um, as there's a question of whether it matters that the work was created by an algorithm in the context of uh, this fair use protection uh, policy. Um, also, there's a consideration and debate of whether um, this takedown notice was sent by an algorithm or a person as well. Uh, so into a little bit more specifics, on May 15th, Bridal posted an AI-generated lyric video featuring um, uh, beat it, and then it was taken down on uh, July 14th, uh, so that's about uh, two months later, and uh, this is when Rydell tweeted it, um, and this was when uh, Twitter allegedly received a Digital Millennium Copyright Act takedown notice for copyright infringement uh, from the International Federation of the Phonographic Industry, um, which uh, is is uh, an organization that represents major and independent record companies. So Andre, do you want to talk about uh, some of the specifics of which neural networks are used? And also, I would love to hear your thoughts on this. Sure, yeah. So um, Mark Riddell, who actually was my teacher uh, when I was at Georgia Tech, an undergrad, um, developed this using two kind of state-of-the-art neural nets, uh, GPT-2, which 
uh, can generate the lyrics. And he also used ExcelNet, um, which I believe uh, maybe helped with the rhymes or otherwise complemented the lyric generation. So uh, the system just generated alternative lyrics that match the rhyme and syllable schemes of the existing songs. And so the naming Weird AI Yankovic is sort of meant to mimic the idea that it's sort of like parody songs, which Weird Al Yankovic makes, where the songs match the rhyming and scheme of the original song and can be played to the original tune, but uh, you know have kind of different lyrics that are maybe funny or different. So in theory, such parody is protected under fair use, which is why this is a little bit tricky where, you know, in a human, humans could produce parodies with different lyrics and in theory use the same music. But here it was done by an algorithm. Is it, should we be protected? Should it not be? It's uh, actually an interesting question, I think. Uh, how about you, Sharon? I think it's definitely an interesting question. Uh, I, I do think maybe there was a little bit of copyright infringement of using beat it uh but the rest you know if it is trained on all this human data that does have copyright on it arguably humans are trained on all this copyright data from the past uh so it's very i think it'll be very hard to argue um because it, it is a matter of how close it does get to to existing existing uh work so uh i be interesting to see where it goes. I'm pretty sure this is going to get into murky gray area waters uh, in terms of regulation. Um, but I could definitely see, um, I could see there being a pretty nuanced line being drawn about it. Exactly. And uh, this, I think, was just like a little side hobby. So it's it's not really a big deal that it's being taken down. But it does... Uh, bringing up interesting questions that we will surely have to deal with as more people start playing around and thinking AI and generating more art and media uh, using existing things. Uh, and the line between, you know, a human actually made this and it is transformative and interesting enough that it should be protected like parodies are versus, you know, this is just uh, dumb output by an algorithm that uses the same music. Um, that line will surely be interesting, as you say. And with that, thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Skynet Today's Let's Talk AI podcast. You can find the articles we discussed here today and subscribe to our weekly newsletter with similar ones at skynettoday.com. Subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts and don't forget to leave us a rating if you like the show. Be sure, sure to tune in, in next week. week.